how would you like a glimpse into how professional athletes train? Well, that's what I have in store for you today because I have world-renowned strength coach Tony Gentlecore on the show. Tony is the co-founder of Cressy Sports Performance, which is one of the best places on the planet when it comes to training professional baseball players. And even if you're not a baseball player or even a fan, all the principles and techniques and methods that they use at Cressy Performance will work for you. Things like mobility exercises, how to properly program strength training workouts, and more. And I'll tell you, I had a great time having Tony on the show because we both are movie buffs and we geek out a little bit at the beginning. So bear with it if you're not as passionate about action movies and sci-fi and fantasy movies as we are, but there is some great wisdom and knowledge to be gleaned from listening to Tony and his experiences. So without further ado, I give you the episode with Tony Gentlecore. Tony Gentlecore, welcome to the Legendary Life Podcast, man. Well, thank you for having me back, Todd. I know we, we had uh, tough luck last time, so I, I'm excited to come back on and talk some shop. Yeah, you know, a little technical difficulty, but that never stops guys Stop. like us. No, we, I know it's been a couple weeks in the making, but we're, uh, we're two busy guys, but we, we made it happen, so I'm excited to be on. Awesome, man. I think we should start off by talking about, man, Star Wars is coming out oh, in boy. a couple days. Can I just tell you the the nerd factor like around me? Like my wife is pretty much on incessant eye rolling mode right now because just like all I'm doing is like Star Wars this, Star Wars that, and I'm pretty excited as is the world. I think you know I just saw that the the Hollywood premiere was last night, so rave reviews, and I think uh, the New York crowd gets to go tonight, and then the rest of us peons get to watch it two days from now. So. Yeah, I'm I'm really, 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 really excited for this. So Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Me too, man. I love Star Wars. It was actually a first movie I saw. Well, Empire Strikes Back was in nineteen seventy seven. I was on my dad's shoulders waiting in line at a, a mall here, a mall movie theater here in Miami. So really excited because Yeah, not a uh, bad first movie to go to right there. Oh, it it definitely made me like a lifelong Star Wars fan. So so really excited about this. Hopefully, it'll make up for yeah, sadly, the other movies. Sadly, I am unable to go to it this weekend, uh, just because like when it was announced, all the pre-sale stuff was crazy. And you know, here in Boston, I wasn't able to get a ticket until Christmas Eve. So I gotta, I gotta hold off on all the spoilers and uh, all the social media for a couple of days. So I don't, I don't want it ruined for me. Yeah, I got <laughs> you, man. Well, listen, I introduced you a little bit, but. And a lot of people listening right now are already familiar with you, Tony. But for those of the people who aren't in the fitness business and don't know the strength and conditioning coach extraordinaire, Tony Gentlecore. Oh, stop can, it. That's true, brother. It's true. But tell the people a little bit about you, your background, and what you do now. Yeah. So I'm coming up on, I think, year 13 or 14 in the industry. You know, I started as a personal trainer back in 2002 in corporate fitness, actually, in uh, central New York. So basically, I was hired by a company to be a trainer. And then my company that I worked for was hired by other companies to kind of run their their gyms for their employees. So employees might have come in before work or during their lunch or after work. And I basically just kicked their butt whenever they came in. And I did that for about three years in conjunction with working at several commercial gyms in and around the Syracuse, New York area. And lo and behold, I, I became friends with, with Eric Cressy, whom many people in my industry know very well, and met him over the internet, which back then was very weird, because now it's like no big deal. Like people meet on the internet all the time. But back in you know, 2003, 2004, it was kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so he and I knew each other through various websites like Teen Nation and a couple other sites that we posted on in various forums. And you know, we became friends and he got a job and kind of knew that I was itching to get out of New York. And he got a job in Connecticut. 
said that, hey, dude, they're looking for another trainer. You should come out here and, and work out here. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll come out and interview. And I interviewed well, and they hired me. And I then had to tell my mom that I was moving to Connecticut with a dude I met on the Internet. And that was that was a <laughs> an awkward conversation to have. But things turned out well. You know, he and I were there for about a year. Then we both moved to Boston and kind of did our separate things. We were still living together as roommates, and he was working at one gym, I was working at another gym. And it was about a year after that, in the summer of 2007, where he and I and Pete Dupuis opened up Cressy Sports Performance. And I was there as coach and co-founder from 2007 up until this past fall, where I, I left and am now in, in Boston, where I've been living for the past you know, eight, nine years. And I found a a very small studio that is literally a mile and a half from my apartment. So I, I went from a 45-minute commute to and from work every day to a mile and a half walk every day, and it's been glorious. And I'm subleasing space, so it's not like it, it's not my gym or my space. I subleasing space, and I really have no interest in in being a businessman. <laughs> so it's been lovely in the sense that. The only overhead I have to worry about is paying my rent as far as the time that I use it. So I pay an hourly rent to use the space. And I'm training people in a semi-private training format. So I'll have two or three people in at a time where after I do their initial assessment, I write their program that they do with me and that they do outside of there. And they show up. We get after it. We deadlift. We squat. We we train as a team and I'll help each other unload and load plates and kind of cheer each other on and it's been pretty cool. So I'm about just under the two month mark as far as doing that and still doing my my writing and doing traveling around the country and whatnot. People inviting me to uh, to hear me speak about deadlifts and squats and program design and assessment, which is always cool. And I'm in a, a very good flow right now. Like as far as like my work schedule, like I'm not interested in coaching 30, 40, 50 hours a week. I'm kind of been there, done that and over it. But I do still want to coach. And I'm at my studio maybe 10, 15 hours a week coaching because I do feel it's very important from an integrity standpoint that if I'm going to be writing on, hey, this is how you should be training people, that I should actually, in fact, be training people. It's surprising to me how many people in the industry are don't do that. <laughs> they uh, sit on uh, a computer put up videos and drink martinis and yeah, that, that's with the money that they made. And, and I'm definitely not one that's like calling out, I would never like call out people's names or anything like that. But you and I both know that those people exist. Like I said, I'm, I'm in a cool spot. Like I have a, I have a pretty chill schedule that I'm enjoying. Like I can get up in the morning, do all my writing on my website and my blog, catch up any articles that are due for, for various sites that I write for and write my programs that are due. I have my distance coaching clients I need to take care of. You know, I'll go to, to Boston University, get my lift in, and the bulk of my training sessions have been late afternoon, early evening, and then I also do Saturday mornings. And so I'm there four days a week, and the rest of the time I, I get to do my writing, which I enjoy very much, and I get to hang out with my cat a little bit more, which never sucks either. So it's, uh, and my wife, of course, that too. Yeah, so. don't forget about her. <laughs> you know, it's funny, by the way, I can't even name a online fitness scammer who, I don't know who, I, I mean, there's definitely people who sell supplements and things like that. But as far as people sharing fitness advice and not really following it, or maybe they went to Google university and they just mix and match their great marketers mixing. I couldn't even name one person like that. I just don't even pay attention to them. But yeah, Tony. And I, and I try not to do that either. Like, I mean, I, I'm doing my thing and I, I have a lovely group of network and fitness individuals and, and professionals that I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be friends with. So, you know, just do my thing and hopefully things work out. I hear that. And, and it's working out for you. It, at least that's what it seems like from the outside. And Tony, just so that the listeners right now who aren't that familiar with you understand who you work with. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about it? Because you've been featured in men's health, women's health. Dude, you're you're a modest guy and that's what I really like about you. But but I think it's also important for people to know that you're all over the place. Bodybuilding.com, T Nation, Muscle and Fitness, Men's Fitness. You've been in all of them. You keep travel. Going, Ted. Keep going, Ted. It's true, brother. <laughs> it's here on your website. I'm looking at it right now. But I've been following your stuff on I first found out about you on T Nation 
where a lot of people got their starts. Now it's kind of, now I don't really read it so much anymore because, you know, I just kind of moved on to different sources of info, but you've been all over the place. You also travel the country or if not the world talking about program design, talking about, uh, I know you're doing a shoulder and hip thing with Dean Mm -hmm. Somerset, another guy who's well-known in the industry. Can you talk a bit about the types of clients you train? Cause you were specializing in working with multi-million dollar athletes. Yeah, at Cressy Sports Performance, we're, we're kind of known as the baseball guys. So I think you'd be hard-pressed to say baseball training or elite baseball training, at least on the East Coast, and not name Cressy Sports Performance. So, you know, and being in the Boston area, it kind of made a lot of sense because, you know, it's a very baseball-centric community because of the Red Sox, of course. You know, when we first opened, you know, when Eric being well-known with knowing shoulder anatomy and shoulder assessment and everything shoulders – it was an easy marriage to make. And, you know, we saw a underserved market where we saw a lot of baseball players who were, you know, doing a lot of very archaic uh, old boys program running polls. And there wasn't a lot of attention to detail. And we, and we saw like when it came to arm care and shoulder mechanics and looking at dysfunction and improving their performance that we felt we could, we could serve them well. So, you know, that obviously snowballed into training a lot of local high school baseball players, which then parlayed into the collegiate baseball players, which then parlayed into professional baseball players. And, you know, you can name an affiliated major league team, and we've worked with an athlete in that organization, you know, between both facilities up here in Boston and down in Jupiter, where Eric kind of splits his time now. But at the same time, you name a sport, we've worked with them and I've worked with them. So while we were kind of known as like baseball, a baseball training facility, you name a sport, we've trained them. We've had boxers, basketball players, volleyball players, football players, softball players, tennis, anything. And we train a lot of those athletes too, as well as people who tend to be a little bit more serious about their health and well-being. So, you know, whether they read Eric's stuff or my stuff or anyone else on the staff, People kind of already knew what they were getting into when they showed up, and they, they kind of sought us out. So a lot of our marketing, like we, you know, Pete, who's our business manager there, he would brag that we, we never really spent a lot of money or went out of our way to spend any money on marketing. It was all through word of mouth. And both Eric and I being reputable in the industry and having our, our respective websites and our writing prowess, that helped. But so, certainly getting people results within the local area helped, and being in Boston is a a pretty big, you know, metropolitan area. So that worked out well too. And now that I'm on my own, it's kind of been refreshing because, you know, while I have every hopes of still training athletes and I still have a couple um, athletes that I'm training, a lot of my clients here in in Boston have been more middle-aged professionals who maybe might've been out to CSP in the past, but just know me through being in the Boston area and they read a lot of stuff. They're fitness educated. So, but they might be dealing with some back issues and a banged up shoulder and whatnot. But they just want to get some good coaching, have someone look at their technique, have someone take the thinking out of the equation for them. They just want to show up, be told what to do, and make sure that they're doing it correctly. And then, you know, my job too is to kind of bring out the beast in them. And sometimes, you know, we, I want them to work towards a performance-based goal. And, you know, I do everything I can to take them through a thorough assessment to kind of figure out where their point A is. They kind of know what their point B is, but they never really know what their point A is. And, you know, either I have to kind of pull the reins a little bit as their coach, or I kind of have to give them a little kick in the butt a little bit. And that's part of what being a coach is and kind of learning, you know, what everyone's particular way of learning is and you know what their strengths and weaknesses are and you know we just get after it so you know long story short you name I've been in the industry so long that you can name an individual age-wise ability-wise you know training age-wise sport-wise I've probably worked with them especially you know with my background in the commercial gym setting like I think that's a very speaking going a little bit off tangent I think working in a commercial gym is a very underrated form of education for a lot of incoming trainers like they think they're above working in a commercial gym and I often tell them you know you should spend the first two or three four years of your career working in a commercial gym setting that's what I did man I can't argue with you there yeah I mean a lot a lot of people have done that I mean anyone you can think of in this industry who's a name who or who is well known got their start in a commercial gym setting 
you know, I think it's invaluable because you're going to have access to so many different people and so many different personalities and so many different goals that you're going to get better. It's just going to happen. So, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty refreshing. Like I've kind of gotten back to my roots, you know, now that I'm on my own and doing more stuff out of Boston. And like I said, I still very much want to be training athletes and, and doing that, you know, and, and there, there's a couple of local high schools here whose athletic directors have reached out to me and whatnot. And that, that may or may not happen, but you know, it's, it's kind of cool. Like just getting people in who's, they come in after work or they come in on a Saturday morning and I just coach them up and it's been a blast. I, I, I pump up the Tiesto and the EDM and we get after it. So it's uh, it's good times. I like it. I like it. And Tony, you know, it's really interesting what I think sets you guys apart from a lot of other people who train athletes because I've trained athletes. I know of a lot of other people who've trained athletes as well, but you guys have taken a kid from like the high school level and got him to the pros or was yeah. it the college level? And got no, him to that, the pros? I mean, there are several instances where I can, kids have started with us in the eighth grade, eighth, ninth grade, trained with us all through the high school career, you know, worked their tail off and earned a scholarship to a, a school, you know, did well there and are now playing professional baseball. That to me is one of the most rewarding things I, I can think of, you know, that and, you know, helping somebody work through an injury. But, you know, to see a kid that who is a skinny 13, 14 year old who is now playing on the brink of being in the big leagues, that's a pretty big deal. And, you know, I think, you know, that's happened several times for us. And, you know, and that's not to blow sunshine up crusty sports performance, but, but we do know what we're doing. We have a system, we have a system that works. And, We've been fortunate enough to have a lot of successful athletes come through our system and, and are kind of like an ambassador of our brand, which which never hurts. I mean, that's really the best marketing you can do is if you're you're getting people results, whether they're professional athletes or not, whether I mean, you could be a fat loss person. And, you know, if you're getting people results, like people are going to hear about you. So but yeah, you're right. That is definitely one of the more rewarding things in my in my careers is is being able to say like yeah I, I took this kid from <laughs> I helped take this kid from a 13 year old 110 pound weakling to professional athlete so it's always been very rewarding yeah and I think that's so important because one I mean a lot of people who have goals in fitness and they they want to achieve a certain result well first of all most of the people who listen to this are either not athletes or maybe they're weekend athletes, but their main goal is to look better, be stronger, sure. all those types of aesthetic slash like functional goals, meaning, okay, I want to run for my plane if I'm running a bit late and not have to worry about tweaking my back or huffing and puffing, <laughs> having to yeah. stop along the or way. Or ripping my hamstring off or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you talked about a method. And one thing that I think a lot of the average gym goers have a disconnect with is that they'll look online. And if, if they're not reading your stuff, of course, or, and by the way, you can find Tony's stuff at TonyGentleCore.com. Great website, great free content. And just can't recommend him enough as one of the top guys to follow in the industry. But as far as like their goals, they think, okay, well, I want a bigger chest. So I'm going to look up some chest exercises. Oh, I want to get ripped. Uh, so I'll, I'll find a workout that seems like it'll rip me up, you know, get me ripped, see my abs. And what they don't understand is they don't understand their limits. Like, and that's why you do the assessments. And that's why I do assessments as well. They don't understand it's about a program to follow that builds on itself so that you're not just in beast mode for, I don't know, six months, a year, and then you get injured or you hit a plateau. But in a year, two years, three years, four years, you're consistently making progress. Even, mm -hmm. even if it comes to a small progress, maybe it's, you know, going from 400 pound deadlifts to 400 and, you know, 20 pound deadlift, whatever. But can you talk about where the average fitness goer, average gym goer, average guy who works out is going wrong and what you do instead to ensure consistent results and as well as being injury free. Yeah, I think if I had to like, I mean, I could, I could probably sit here for, you know, two hours and explain a lot of stuff that I see people doing wrong. But if I had to pinpoint like one or two like big rock concepts, I think number one is people 
they don't have a purpose in their training. They just say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. They think that because they go to the gym that they won and that they've accomplished something, which in and of itself, yes, true, great. That's kind of step one. Like that, that of course, is a big rock or hurdle to overcome for a lot of people is just getting to the gym. But once they're there, it's like they're just kind of like haphazardly, you know, Frankenstein workout, putting just random stuff together and just kind of going through the motions. And, you know, a lot of times that's not their fault. I mean, there's a lot of people who who don't do a lot of fitness reading and they just kind of do some arm circles and some bicep curls and I'll do this leg thingy bobber, whatever, and bounce around on the BOSU ball and there's a workout. Certainly, that's better than nothing. But I think if if more people would set a goal for themselves and have some kind of intent or purpose in their training, that to me is the game changer and the X factor for a lot of people. And that I'm very much a performance-based guy, whether I'm working with athletes or non-athletes. Like athletes is one thing, but even if I'm working with a general fitness population client, I encourage them to let's try to seek out some form of performance-based goals that are realistic and then coincide with your current ability level. Like I do have to pull back the reins a little bit because you know I'll get the people that come in like, hey, I wanna I wanna have a six-pack and be an elite powerlifter and run a marathon, and I'm like. Yeah, and I, I want to have sex with, you know, Jessica Alba, you know, and it's... it's oh, me you know, too, it's, man. That's, yeah, that's you know, fun. it's like, it's like let's be realistic here, buddy, okay? Like, you know, so... What's I your think, phone number, Tony? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if I can kind of direct them and lead them into like, let's figure out like some kind of goal here. And, and sometimes for some people, it's like learning to do a pain-free squat or learning how to do a deadlift pain-free or some of my female clients learning to do or working up to doing a a clean full rep full range of motion chest the bar chin up or or doing 10 push-ups you know I don't care what it is like I just don't want it to be some like you know random goal like oh I just want to lose weight like that to me doesn't mean anything like I want to be a little bit more concrete and I want performance based. I don't necessarily want it to be aesthetic based. I mean, because we all want to look better naked. Like there, there's a degree of vanity or of vainness or vanity in this and that, you know, yeah, we want to be able to take our shirt off and look good and we want to look good for the opposite sex or, or same sex. And there's a sexiness and factor that comes to training. You know, we all want to look good. But it's funny if once I get people to switch on and to, to respect and appreciate working towards a performance-based goal, a two times body weight deadlift, X number on the bench press, whatever it is, a lot of those aesthetic goals as far as like a six-pack or ripped pecs or bigger glutes or bigger quads or whatever, they just kind of magically happen as a result of their training. It isn't that, it isn't that we set up their training to hit, that, to hit that specific body part or that specific you know, aesthetic goal. But, you know, if I get them to work their butt off and to appreciate and, and be more in line with respecting the process and not necessarily the outcome and understanding that, yeah, you know, this may take a year, it may take two years, it may take three years, but respecting the process and having intent in their workouts and, and their approach, that to me is the biggest mistake a lot of people make. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what you said there was an epiphany for me early in my fitness career it's stop focusing on the body parts. And I mean, the exercise selection has got to be focused on what body parts, I guess, to a certain extent, right? Although, yeah, yeah, of course. But, uh, but focusing on performance, because if you're getting stronger, if you're able to do more sets, more reps, more weight, do a harder version of an exercise, then the results are going to come. I think that's counterintuitive for most people. I think guys like you and I figure it out because we get paid for a result. And if we don't get a result for people, we don't get paid. So it's like, okay, what works? Okay. Oh, periodization. Oh, Ian King. Oh, you know, figuring all this stuff out and learning from the guys who were working with athletes. But I think it's counterintuitive for most people. They're like, no, man, I go into the gym and, you know, just work my chest really hard, right? Because I want a bit better chest. Yeah, and that's a great example because I had a, a gentleman start with me a couple of weeks ago here in Boston who's a cardiologist and a very fit guy. And what, about week three into our workouts together and into our programming, 
he's like, yeah, I was just wondering why we don't do a lot of chest. And, you know, I was like, dude, we're doing chest. Like we're doing push-ups and we're doing like one-arm dumbbell presses. Like we're not doing bench press. We're doing a lot of back work. And I was like, just think about it this way. Like you came in presenting with certain postural and I'm not going to say issues because he wasn't in pain. I'm not saying po- like bad posture causes pain. I'm not one of those people. But he's like, I want a bigger chest. And I look at him and I'm like, okay, you got rounded shoulders. You're a little kyphotic. You got some forward head posture. You know, I was talking with him about his previous workouts. And it was a lot of chest, 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 chest. Like most guys. It's like Monday's chest day, Wednesday's chest day, Friday's chest day, and every other Thursday is chest day. And so I was like, at the way I explained it to him, I was like, we're going to really hammer your back. And if I can get you to strengthen up your back and to kind of open you up a little bit more, then the illusion of having a bigger chest is going to manifest. And, he, and it was like I could look at him and tell him and see that a light bulb went off because no one ever really explained it to him that way. It was just like, oh, if I want a bigger chest, I got to do more chest work. And I was like, no, that's probably why it's, it's feeding into a lot of what's not making your chest pop in the first place. You're presenting with a certain posture and you're doing more exercises that are promoting that posture we want to avoid. And we need to program you in the opposite direction. And it was like a light bulb that went off in him. And he was like, oh, thank you. That, made, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, outside of like a competitive bodybuilder or and certainly there are instances where if I'm working with somebody and, and, and I need to and they're looking to build up their bench press or a deadlift or a squat, and there, there might be points in their programming where I need to isolate a muscle to bring it up. I mean, because definitely, you know, force production and strength in certain muscles is important for performance in any lift. But for you know, 90% of the people, 90% of the time, and I think you would agree with this, Ted, a full body approach three to four times a week is, is going to work well for a lot of people. And that's really, you know, there's been programs, many of the most popular programs ever written, the, the mass programs are, that's exactly the approach they take. It's a, more of a full body approach. So, you know, why people tend to try to get too cute and think that more is better, you know, I don't know if that's just a indicative of our society today where it's like I want now 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 but I just wish more people would appreciate the the process and understand that yeah guys like myself and many of the other trainers that people are reading there's a reason why that's how we program because we know it works and unfortunately that they tend to be boring programs they tend to be longer duration programs but to me the best way to get results is to do what I know works and to take our time like I'm not looking for any quick fixes like I want this and really my goal at the end of the day is to make my clients more autonomous like I'm trying to educate them and I want to get them to the point where they don't need my services anymore and if they understand that then again as a point of advice to any trainers listening you know you're, you're more likely to get more clients that way <laughs> it's so true and you know, it, counterintuitive it, sounds, point. it sounds very counterintuitive it's like yeah. oh why would I want to get rid of my clients well you know, if I'm educating my clients like I did this gentleman, like he's staying on, like he's bought in. And if I get him results, he's going to buy in. And at some, at some point, he's not going to need my services, but he's going to have a friend or a colleague or a family member down the road who absolutely will need somebody. And who do you think he's going to point them to? Is me. So, you know, and, and I want to make them autonomous. So, you know, I think that's, that's a, a point that a lot of newbie trainers and coaches often gloss over and miss out on. Yeah. And, I love what you said there about the program not being that entertaining necessarily. No. no, I mean, I look at, and it's funny, even when I was at Cresty Sports Performance, you know, I mean, I get emails a lot from people from coaches and, and random people from around the country. And it's like, oh, your program's like, well, how do you, what your program design? And I just point out, tell them, like, listen, I, I can't answer your question on program design because it, it, everything, it, it depends. Like, it just depends. But, if you take a look at our programs and even the programs that I write now, they are not sexy, like at all. Like and a lot of times I am repeating exercises and because people don't need as much variety as they think they do. That's another point. You know, if I had to make another bullet point or big rock is people don't need as much variety as they think they do. Bro, you got to do the incline flies, then the flat <laughs> yeah. flies, then the decline flies, and then the yeah, chest trust- flies with the cable. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and I'm not going to lie and say that I never put those exercises in, but if you look at the programs I write, it's, it's literally a, a squat variation, a deadlift variation, push-pull, rotary, single leg, then it just fits into their abilities. So, I mean, I, I try to mold 
the athlete or the client to the program and not vice versa. So, you know, people think that, oh, with deadlifts, like I'm having everyone do a conventional deadlift on day one. It's like, no, like, you know, a deadlift is a hip hinge. Like sometimes someone's quote unquote deadlift might just be a kettlebell deadlift or it might just be a wall hip hinge. I mean, it just depends. You know, that is a deadlift. I'm not going to be loading people up super heavy on day one all the time. And this matters me is just kind of molding and tweaking the, the exercises in the program to, to fit their needs and, and, and what their ability levels are. And it's oftentimes very boring. And a lot of times people are like, what, that, what that's it? Like, you know, they, they think that they, my goal is to crush them every workout. And it's not my goal. Like, I want them to leave as if they want more. Because you alluded to it earlier. It's like, people hurt themselves and it's like this never ending cycle of like train hard, they get hurt, go to PT, train hard, get hurt, go to PT. And I've never heard it put quite like that, but I know people who fit that description. Absolutely. And, and a lot of the times, like I get a lot of people who come to me who fit that pattern. Like they, they always get hurt and it's the same injuries over and over and over again. And Number one, I actually watch them do their movement. I'm like, whoa. In my head, I'm like, WTF, like what the hell's going on? I mean, I obviously am much more professional in how I relate it to them, but you know, I write their program and a lot of times they're like, oh wow, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you gotta earn the right to do these movements that you wanna be doing. Like you don't do them well. We need to build you up to the point where you can do those well and not hurt yourself. And to me, a lot of it is gonna be the quality of their movement, the quality of their reps. You know, and, and that's not to say that I'm not taken into contention or into progressive overload. Of course I am. But progressive overload to me isn't always about more sets, more reps, more load. A lot of it could just be the feel of the exercise. Like if it looks cleaner from week one to week two to week three and the, and the, the reps are faster from week one to week two to week three, that to me is progression yeah. um, and can be a form of progression. I'm a strength guy. Like, listen, I love getting people stronger. Believe me, like the people I train, athletes and non-athletes alike, they're lifting heavy stuff. Like, I'm, they're getting after it. But a lot of times, too, I am kind of doing more sub-maximal work because that's where people need to build their volume and to earn the right to do those heavier loads. So, I mean, I could talk for hours on that stuff, but hopefully it's making sense. Like, I know, I know I'm kind of throwing a lot of random stuff out there, but... Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, of course, if for people who are in more educated, let's say, whether they're in the fitness business or not, they're going to understand for those who are a bit new to some of the things you're talking about, and that's kind of a, those are alien concepts, of course. But you know what? Ex- the first step is exposure and being like, "Well, I've never heard of that before." And Tony, I want to get your uh, take on on this because for guys like you and I, we we totally get this, and I think it's because of the underlying th- understanding of physiology. But I wrote a program for a client, right, and like you had mentioned with some of the programs that you write, the exercises stay the same. So Mm -hmm. my client was like, man, this is like the same thing. And the difference, the exercise, meaning the exercises stayed the same, but he was going from, you know, like, I'm trying to remember, it was maybe three or four sets of 12 to like five sets of five, right? Yep, yep. So for him, it was the same because he's thinking, oh, this is the same exercise, but you and I know there's a lot more at work there and yeah. that type of progression yields much better results. How do you explain that to someone who maybe doesn't understand the difference in, in muscle fibers and periodization, all that stuff? How do you make someone understand like, oh, doing a deadlift with a weight you can do 12 times is completely different than a weight that you can do five times. Maybe not the movement, the movement's the same, but the effect on the body is different. How do you explain yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, I try to tell them like, yeah, there, there are different rep ranges that kind of hit different goals. You know, like you, can, can like you we, go into that? Just go yeah, over yeah, the rep we, ranges? We say like rep ranges of like 12 to 15 plus kind of work more muscular endurance and, you know, rep ranges between eight to 12 reps kind of work more hypertrophy or muscle growth. And generally speaking, anything five reps and under kind of places a little bit more emphasis on, on strength. 
And to me, like like you said, like you had a client that was working. Oh, I, I could do this for twelve reps. Now we're doing it for five. Like, what's the deal? Like, now we're working on a little bit more strength things. Like, and that's a point that a lot of people miss out on. Because to me, like, if if we're trying to get strong and you can do uh, an exercise and you can easily bang out twelve reps, like the weight's too light. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not challenging enough to to elicit the goal that we're working towards. And, and to me, like at the end of the day, what I'm trying to get instill in them is we're trying to do more work with, with, with each training session. And there's a lot of parameters and factors that come into doing more work. And the easiest one is sets and reps. Like you, you take the number of sets, you take the number of reps, you multiply that, and there's a number there you know, with a certain amount of weight. And then we can, we can kind of do the math and say, hey, did we lift more weight this week compared to last week? Cool. We're, we're, we're good to go. And that's where I kind of feel like too like, is where there's a little bit of a, a dichotomy in that that's like the feel of a set also needs to be coming into play. So there's a lot of times where people that they're so programmed to think that it's all about sets and reps and that doing more work that way that they don't take into consideration the, 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 the feel or the, the look of the set. And to me, I'd rather somebody cut a set short by one or two reps than do one to two really Poor looking reps because to me they're not going to get much benefit out of that I think you would agree with that and that's not to say that there isn't a time and place where we need to be grinding out sets and you know grinding out reps and whatnot but I'm a much bigger fan of people not missing repetitions just for the sake of like grinding them out and really kind of fatiguing and I'm just not a fan of that because again to me that's when most people tend to get hurt you know, I, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's a discussion and it's an ongoing discussion. I was trying to explain energy systems to a client the other day and yeah. she was interested in it. So it's not like yeah, I was, yeah. you know, and that, and, terrorizing and her with, with like, you know, ATP PC yeah, system. Yeah, I try to you know? avoid that too. I think that's the verbiage you use with clients plays a big role. Like you can you got to, you know, what's the saying? Like, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't know it well enough yourself. Or if you can't, if you can't write the explanation on a napkin, I think it was Einstein or there, there's some very smart people out there who that was their quote. So when people, I want my clients to be proactive. Like, I want them to ask me questions. And, you know, I, and I, I just try to use it in uh, client talk. Like, I think Nick Tuminello has a very good saying where you need to think trainer, but talk client. And... I think that's a, that's a very useful quote because I think a lot of trainers tend to talk trainer to their clients where they're throwing out ATP and glenohumeral orientation deficit and extension-based back pain and hypertrophy and you know all these big words that people are like, what the hell are you talking about? So it's important that you kind of water things down and, and speak clients. So if I say like, hey, when we're working in rep ranges of one to five, we're kind of working on more strength and if that's our goal and you're supposed to be doing a set for five reps and you can easily bang out 10, the weight's too light. You know, we need to up the weight. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, so it's just as simple as simple as that. You don't have to get too elaborate, you know, and then you you, got to be careful. (laughs) You're right, because you got to be very careful with the verbiage you use. Yeah, it's important for sure. And and Tony, I'd like to get your take on this. And I'd like to talk about injuries for a bit. Mm Mm-hmm and how they happen. So I was training a client in the gym the other day and he actually, he's got big time knee issues and that's, uh, we, we haven't really talked that much before, but that's kind of what I specialize in is helping guys with injuries, get great results in spite of that. And, uh, I've done well enough so that, that I get a lot of referrals in that mm-hmm. way. But as I was training him, there was a guy, real nice guy, but he's in the gym And he's like hammering out bicep curls and he's like, oh, you know, guy's strong, looks good. I think he could look better if he he had a different program, but he was like, he was hammering out, but he didn't understand. Like, it's like, dude, you can't go in there and, and work like that all the time and expect like your tendons not to, not to get inflamed. And I think that's in, in general, like people who work out and they go beast mode, hashtag beast mode in the gym and their muscles get stronger. They start to see a difference in their body, but then they start getting some tendinitis 
or something else work up. And there's that disconnect between, hey, I'm doing something in the gym. I'm working hard. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do or what I think I'm supposed to do. My muscles are getting bigger. They're getting stronger. But why am I getting injured? How do you help people understand that? Uh, so a lot of times in that in that scenario, I might just explain it in a way where like, to me, the reason why you're probably the same area is kind of getting hurt is you're doing what we call pattern overload. You're doing the same movement over and over and over and over and so you're going to build you're going to develop some kind of imbalance and you know and, and when it comes to our joints and our tendons and ligaments there, there's a tug of war on those joints and if certain muscles are yanking more so than others to counteract it that's kind of when stuff goes bad you know and, and intelligent programming would hopefully be able to offset that you know, and part of being a coach too, when it comes to like knee pain with squats or back pain with deadlifts or shoulder pain with bench pressing, a lot of it too is just making sure that people are in proper positions before they do those lifts in the first place. So if someone's in crazy anterior, like excessive anterior pelvic tilt before they do a squat, like I need to address that. So whether it's me putting my hands can, on can, them. And, Tony, can you explain yep. what that is for the people who don't know what an anterior so, pelvic anterior tilt is? anterior pelvic tilt is basically like there's a normal curvature in the lower back. You know, an anterior pelvic tilt just means like the front of the pelvis is pointing down or forward. You know, and when that's excessive, peep, that can be problematic for some. I think the, the easiest analogy I hear people say is that you think about duck butt, you know, and that, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense, where the butt is kind of really sticking out a, a lot of weight. And then that's what we mean by excessive anterior pelvic tilt and you know so a lot of times if I see that and I know someone's in pain then to me I need to try to put them into a better position before they whether it's with corrective exercise or just me being a coach sometimes I can just cue people out of it you know I might just say think think belt buckle to your chin before we squat and that just to me is just making it so instead of being super anteriorly pelvic tilt so their pelvis is pointing one way we're trying to get them to to think of their pelvis as more of a cup and trying to get them in a little bit more of a, you know, anatomical neutral. So just a better pelvic positioning. And a lot of times like, well, that feels a little bit different. That feels a little bit better. And then I try to roll with that. So there are certainly corrective exercises that could be done to fix that, whether it's tight hip flexors or weak glutes or working on core strength and stuff like that. But a lot of times too, the reason why people's certain joints hurt on certain lifts is they're overloading those joints because they're, they might be work, they might be moving in the wrong wrong fashion or they're just they're compensating in some way. So I'm a pretty hands-on coach. I'm not scared to put my hands on people and to put them in the positions I want to put them in because a lot of people are very are tactile learners. Like you can't just tell them to do something. Like I would never say, like you said, I, I, I wouldn't say anterior pelvic tilt to a client. They'd just be like, what? I would just say, listen, we got to get rid of that duck butt. I think belt buckle the chin. You know, that's going to put your pelvis in a better position. And then we're going to roll that and see if that feels better. If it feels better, awesome. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna use that and try to ingrain that and, and make that more of a, a, a pat, your default pattern. That's just what I need to do as a coach. Like uh, it's unfortunate that there's a lot of people out there who hire trainers and the trainers just stand there and they count reps and they, they just kind of, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've walked to a commercial gym and I observe as part of the nature of being a coach and they're just kind of leaning against the pole, talking to their client and they're not fixing anything. And, and to me, if you're, if you're a coach and you, and you give a crap, then you need to be walking around and fixing and cueing and, and stuff like that. So as far as like preventing injuries, I think a good coach is going to, A, know how to regress or progress and exercise accordingly. So I never write a perfect program. Like I can look at any program I've ever written and I'm always changing it. So I might overshoot someone's ability on a certain exercise. So, you know, say push-ups from the ground and they can't do them. I was like, okay, well, we need to regress that and maybe do it from an elevation. You know, I need to put them into a successful position where they do the movement successfully, pain-free, and then we can progress from there. You know, same thing with like a squat. You know, I can, if, if I might say, I might program a front squat for somebody and it's just too aggressive. They, they're not quite getting it, even with positioning and coaching. So it's like, okay, well, let's maybe try a goblet squat. 
And then if they, they crush it, then cool. We're going to, we're going to roll with that. And you're bringing up some great points, Tony, and and it's bringing some things to mind. First of all, the progressions, regressions, Mm -hmm. such a great concept because some people try things that are too hard and they get injured doing them. Yeah. And they think, yeah, they, they just overshot their ability level. Like they're just doing programs and exercises that they're just not ready for. Yeah. And and they learn it from like YouTube university. Yeah. Well, the thing you think about it too, like a lot of people are doing these advanced programs and advanced exercises that advanced athletes and and bodybuilders and powerlifters are doing now. And Chad Wesley Smith of Juggernaut Training brings this up quite a bit where he's like, you know, you shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be focusing on what those people are doing now. You should be focusing on what those people did 10, 15, 20 years ago to get to the point where they're now elite status. You know, and I think that's where a lot of people get hurt too, is that they're just, they're following programs and exercises that frankly, they're just not ready for. And they're, they're, they're doing these cause they look cool. Like I get it. They look awesome. And they're, they're, oh, I want to do that. I want to go to the gym right now and do that right now, but you're just not ready for it. And you need to be doing the stuff that that individual was doing 10 years ago. And then you're going to be spot on. And that, that, that in and of itself is another reason why a lot of people get hurt. They just, they, they try to be hero and they, and they're not. (laughs) Yeah. You got to earn it. Like you said, you got to earn the right, not just to do certain exercises, but certain types of workouts as well. I got a client who I worked with a few years ago and I got him after he was following some of the CrossFit HQ workouts, which are the workout. I know you know this, Tony, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. just in case anyone listening, it, it, those are the workouts that pop up on the CrossFit homepage every day. And he followed the, the workout, which had like 200 pull-ups in it. Oh, boy. And he tore his rotator cuff because, and he was a big guy too. Oh, He's weird. like six, weird. three, six, four. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> probably, <laughs> you know, t- probably 200 quarter, 230, uh, somewhere around there. And right, 200 pull-ups when he wasn't conditioned to do it. It just happened to be the the wad, the workout of the day. And, yep. you know, I don't want to go, go off on a CrossFit tangent here, but just to illustrate a point, he had to get his uh, rotator cuff surgically reattached and then you know, we started training and we started doing th- something completely different. But one of the things that you said, you know, the whole duck butt and, and you have this anterior pelvic tilt, this duck butt thing. One thing that I don't think people get sometimes is that we live in this society that we're eating crappy food in general. Even guys who are pretty, pretty good about their fitness and paying attention to it, we still get sucked in. We don't typically get enough sleep. And even me, Tony, I mean, I'm up more than your average desk jockey, but for the people who are in the desks all the time, and even guys like me, I sit down a lot. I'm sitting in my car on my way to clients. Sometimes I sit when I'm training my clients because I got them doing floor stuff. And sometimes I'm just lazy, Tony. And I'm right there with you. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) But we're using our bodies completely different. And it's leading to this thing where we're getting either the duck butt or the, I don't know what you would call the other one. Paul check used to call it, I guess the pink Panther butt or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. And, and also a lot of people, and this was me for a while and something you have some great exercises and articles about, but guys who are doing overhead presses or pull-ups yep. and they can't get their arms over their head. Yeah. It's a big one. So yep. can you talk Shoulder a little flexion. bit about like what the hell is happening to our bodies in general, and then talk about Let's use that shoulder flexion example for pull-ups and overhead presses. Yeah, you know, it's just a, it's, we're just at a point now where because of the the way things are, like we as a society, like even like you said it, even you and I who are in the fitness industry and we are coaching people and we're pretty active, like I spend a fair amount of my days sitting too. Like I'm writing, you know, answering emails. I'm sitting while doing this podcast. Like I used to, like I said, I used to travel 45 minutes to and from in my car to work every day. You know, it's just the nature of the beast as far as our society today. And really our only form of exercise for most pretty much everyone is when we go to the gym. And that, that when you think about that amount of time, it still isn't that much time on a week to week basis. And, you know, we're, we're sitting in a fashion where we're just like balls of flexion. 
And I can't tell you how many times we've had people walking into the facility when I was at Cressy Sports Performance because of the adaptive responses of the body for, of the baseball player. But two, with your everyday meathead office worker, you know, one of the assessments that we use is their ability to bring their arms out front straight above their head. You know, and I'm trying without to without arching their low yes. backs. So what I'm trying to see is if they can do that without one of two compensation patterns. One of which is gonna be they're gonna crank through the lower back and have this really aggressive rib flare and go into that massive anterior pelvic tilt that I was talking about. And it is important to differentiate the fact that Everyone is in anterior pelvic tilt for the most part. I mean, outside of the people who like the slight few who have like a posterior pelvic tilt, there is a normal anterior pelvic tilt to the body. It's just when it becomes excessive and it starts causing pain is when we maybe need to start addressing it. But anyway, outside of that, if I'm looking at someone's shoulder flexion and they start cranking through their lower back and arching the lower back a lot and they have this excessive rib flare and then maybe they, they, they poke their head forward a lot. If they can't do that, like in a controlled setting where we're just standing there and I'm just looking, you know, actively, can they do it? Then chances are that when they do all their overhead pressing or when they're doing all these chin-ups, it's probably feeding into their issues. So again, that's one of those scenarios where I have to tell people like, listen, like we need to earn the right to do this stuff over your head. I'm not against doing anything over our heads. Like I, I think it's very important. But, you know, take for example too, like if I have somebody come in with lower back pain, this happens quite often. Someone comes in with lower back pain. I can't figure out my back's always hurting me. You know, what's wrong with my back? What's wrong with my back? What's wrong with my back? A lot of times I test their shoulder flexion. And if I test that shoulder flexion and I see them cranking through their lower back, it's not a lower back issue. To me, it's probably they have really short or stiff lats. Like, and because they're so tight there, they can't get their arms over their head. So anytime they do anything over their head, where are they getting their range of motion from? From their lower back. So the correction is going to be maybe some aggressive soft tissue work in that area. So whether it's foam rolling the lats or maybe going to point them in the direction of a massage therapist, working on anterior core stiffness. So working the front side of their core. So maybe dead bugs and pal-off presses and chops and lifts you know, and getting them more stiff there so they aren't cranking to the lower back, you know, and holding back on the chin-ups and the pull-ups and the overhead pressing just for maybe a month or two, seeing if we can clean up that pattern and then we can start progressing properly to those lifts. Because, I mean, I, I can't tell you too, like I remember one individual I, I trained back in the day who was a volleyball player, really poor shoulder flexion, but chin-ups and pull-ups were like the one exercise that, that felt good. Like the, mm. as far as his shoulder, like his shoulders killed him. Like any, like pushups hurt, presses hurt, a lot of stuff hurt. Pull-ups and chin-ups felt good. But I tested his shoulder flexion. He had some of the shortest, tightest, stiffest lats I've ever seen. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry to tell you this, but those chin-ups and pull-ups you're doing aren't doing you any favors. They're kind of feeding into the, the, the problem here. And he was like deflated. He's like, oh my God, no, please. So, but my job as his coach was to figure out a way to train around the injury, which I can always do. I don't care what injury, save for like, you know, really aggressive injuries. Like we can train around any injury. Like I think people like to use excuses to not train, but we can train around any injury. And so I just said, hey, we got to figure out a different goal here. Let's, let's maybe work on your squat for a couple months and not worry about the shoulders or and do squat variations that aren't going to bother your shoulder. Front squats, safety squat, bar squats, you know, stuff that aren't going to really be aggressive on his shoulders. And he bought into it. And, you know, after a few months, he improved and his shoulders started feeling better and he improved his shoulder flexion. And, you know, we, we integrated stuff back in. So, you know, we can't, I think a lot of people view injury as bad and it is and that they can't train, which is to me is false. Like we can always work around some kind of injury and that, that's why I would advocate that a lot of people seek out a, a, a fitness professional to help them do that. Yeah, you're bringing up a great point. And I think guys like us, we, we've had to kind of learn how to do that. And yeah. if you're following the right people, like you, you give some great information on how to do that as well as Eric and, and a lot of other people. But for people who are just like bicep curls, deadlifts, or not even deadlifts, usually it's, it's bicep curls, bench press, 
leg extension machine. You know, they, they don't know. And what you're talking about is mobility exercise, stability yeah. exercise. Yep. And, and more of alignment because really, I mean, that's a whole other argument in the industry is which is more important, mobility, stability. And, you know, I used to be one of – we can argue – you can make arguments for both. Is mobility more important or is stability more important? Um, and Mike Reinold make, makes a point of saying like neither. It's, it's about alignment. So, I mean, if you, if you stretch somebody who's misaligned and work on mobility, you're going you're gonna to create a, a bigger weakness and you know, that's not going to make them any better. And if you strengthen somebody who's misaligned with doing more stability work, you're going to create an imbalance. So it is important to get people in better alignment, cue them up and coach them up and get them to appreciate proper positioning and then work on you know, cementing those patterns. So you know, to me, it's you know, it's not so much stability and mobility, like both are important, of course, and it's going to be dependent on the individual. But a lot of times the issue comes down to what's going to put that person into better alignment, then we're going to focus on after that. So yeah, and I just said that because uh, oh, I know, yeah, I know. we're not a uh, this is you it. don't know anything, Ted. <laughs> I don't know anything. No, it's not really a fitness audience per se, a fitness professional audience per se. And yeah, we'll have to get you back on and talk about all the different viewpoints and contentions and drama, frankly, in in the industry. Because I know you've, even though I view you as a good guy, one of the good guys, I view Eric as one of the good guys, you two have come under fire, but that's for another podcast. Oh, yeah, everyone man. Has. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm the, I'm like the know-it-all guy, but you know, I just try to get, get people to realize that, you know, good movement matters. Like at the end of the day, like I want to get people strong. I think that's a cool thing to strive for, but then I want people to move well, to be pain-free and to appreciate that quality of movement counts and you know you, you can't judge your workouts by you know you vomiting or being in a pool of sweat or that to me is never the goal it's just like quality movement does matter yeah are you making progress and staying exactly. injury free yep. right yeah, absolutely yeah man so so many people like oh, I, I find it hard to believe that people can 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 uh disregard that or argue that like to me it's a pretty universal <laughs> goal to, to strive for i would think you know what it is a lot of people are emotionally addicted to that the high intensity exercise sure it's frankly and, what it and is honestly you know? too like i mean yeah you know i could kind of roll my eyes at the guy that does bicep curls in the same workout every workout and leg extensions and but at the same time i, I kind of have to applaud like he's doing something you know, and he doesn't know any better. And, you know, the bigger issue is when, and again, this is for another time, is when he's with a trainer and they're doing that garbage stuff and it doesn't look good. And that's a whole other ballpark. But yeah, but yeah most but, trainers are not good is the, uh, is the message there. I don't know if I started out that bad because I was already learning. I from- think we all, I mean, we probably all sucked it. We, we all sucked at one point. Like I, I can look back at my first training. So I can distinctly remember the first training session I ever did with a client and if if my present self went back in time and watched past self do that, I would probably drop kick myself in the face. Yeah, like, you're an idiot. Like, but no that's doubt. that's the whole point of getting better and listening to shows like this and continuing ad and not thinking that you're the bee's knees and being humble. Like, I think that's important stuff to to strive for. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. And, and deadlifts. And deadlifts, <laughs> because heavy things won't lift themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, listen, Tony, it was great having you on, man. I really appreciate I your appreciate time it. and Thanks. the conversation. It's always great to talk with who I think are the people in the industry that non-fitness professionals maybe don't know about as much and need to. And for me, you're one of those guys. So thank you for being on the show. Well, thanks, Ted. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And if you want to hit up Tony, go to TonyGentleCore.com. That's Tony, T-O-N-Y, G-E-N-T-I-L-C-O-R-E.com, Tony GentleCore. I'll have that link in the show notes. So in case you didn't quite catch that, it'll be in the show notes. And Tony, why don't you offer some final words of wisdom, advice, motivation, inspiration, anything that you feel that we haven't quite covered or a point that you wanted to hit home again and, and we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I think for the people listening, because I know they're, they're not like the fitness professional crowd, 
I think the best point of advice I can give them is stop with the programming ADD, stop program hopping. Like I think the, the biggest mistake, another big mistake a lot of people make is, and the reason why they don't get results, is that they read an article online and they start the program and everything's fine and then they read another article somewhere else and they start that program and they never allow themselves to adapt to a program or to actually start seeing results. Do a program, stick with it. Stop testing your strength all the time and start building it. Like, you know, again, like if you're going to do a program, don't tweak it. You know, Dan John talks about it all the time where he writes a program that goes on T Nation and then he gets all these emails of guys, well, this exercise is easy. Can I do this one instead? Or what about I do this exercise on day two instead of this exercise? And he just, he, it's no, do the program. <laughs> There's a reason why it's written that way. So stop with the program hopping, do the program, follow the program. I think many people will be surprised in the type of progress they'll make when they actually stick to one program and, and, and see it through the whole way through. Tony Gentlecore, thanks so much for being on this show. And man, we got to get you back on soon. I feel like we could have another two or three hours of stuff that we just, you know, we're just beginning to scratch the surface. So thanks again, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon.